Capturing on-camera experiences of everyday harassment, photographer Eliza Hatch retelling stories on film in the hope of giving women the courage to speak out. He tried to put his hand under my shorts. The conductor tapped my ass. And they kept him following me. His hand was going up my skirt and I, my body somehow froze. You know, no one intervened. Cheer up love, a phrase sometimes shouted at women on the street. They're photographed in places where harassment has happened. Calling to curb crawling. This campaign covers it all. Hello and welcome to the Cheer Up Love podcast with me, your host, Eliza Hatch. Joining me today is someone whose writing and podcast I've been following for years. It's the sensational Emma Gannon. You may know Emma from her Sunday Times bestseller, The Multi-Hyphen Method, or her award-winning podcast, Control-Alt-Delete, or one of the many other strings that make up her multi-hyphenated bow. Emma was selected in 2018 for the Forbes 30 Under 30. She has now written four books, teaches, publishes, and broadcasts her Webby-nominated podcast, which is where I actually first discovered her. As a freelancer who is often juggling many different careers, I've found a personal solace and comfort in Emma's work, and I can't wait to speak to her. So join me now to listen to our conversation. And just a trigger warning, we will be reading out an experience of sexual harassment later in the show. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm so happy to have you on the show. How are you doing? Thank you so much for having me. I love your work. And as you know, I follow it on Instagram and love this podcast. So very thrilled to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh my God, that's so nice to hear. Obviously a huge fan of your work as well. And congratulations, by the way, because you've released two books in a pandemic, which is kind of nuts. Like, how is that for you? Oh, thank you. I know it's been a bit of a weird one because I feel like there's this innate guilt I think with complaining about anything this year just because you know we are aware that Mm. people have just got it really really bad at the moment and I I remember seeing this quote a while ago that was like we're all in the same storm but we're not all in the same boat Mm -hmm. and I thought that was really a really good analogy of just like we're all battling through it but with like privileges along the way so I found it to be probably really bad taste for me to moan too much about my books being completely ruined in the pandemic. Um, Just because I'm so aware that it is such a, you know, it's a great job and I don't want to just sit playing my tiny violin. But there was a lot of sadness, I think, around just projects being stalled or your fantasies of how this year was going to be have kind of completely gone away. So I had a lot of plans this year to release my Mm. debut novel and... I was going to do festivals and do loads of events and just really go for it and obviously none of that has happened so still kind of working through that I think. Yeah well I mean it must feel like conflicting feelings you know such a huge achievement but also this loss of not being able to like celebrate it properly not being able to go to a reading or go to an event or a bookshop or like any of these things and yeah celebrate something as you normally would and I think loads of people are reckoning with that at the moment as well and that kind of guilt as well of being like oh well you know I haven't been able to do these things but also should I really be feeling bad about this in the grand scheme of things yeah exactly and I think you know you're allowed to feel sad about things everything's relative but you have to put things things in perspective as well which I have done Um, but yeah it's weird because I think without being able to go into in real life bookshops and seeing the book on the shelf that for an author is a huge part of it one of the biggest moments and it sounds so silly but it is just seeing it you know in a shop and I haven't actually done that at all really with my books this year Mm -hmm. so you kind of 
you know you're not sure if it really happened (laughs) it's like was that a thing Mm. but I've got to say though there have been positives and I think it's good to dwell on those as well which is that I haven't um, done any events but I have done some zoom events and even though I really moaned about that it's amazing that everyone around the world if they want to can tune in and I think it's really important to be accessible and you know I think doing events in London really cuts a lot of people out of being able to go to things so I'm going to continue that in the future I think. No I think that's like so important and that's another one of these huge things that I've noticed recently as well as the reach of my work has completely changed during the pandemic because Mm. before it's always been like events and so much so I've always been centered on the location and shoots and all of this kind of stuff but now everything's just changed like everyone's from around the world has been able to tune into yeah as you said like a talk or if I want to do you know a shoot I've been doing like FaceTime shoots instead so it's opened up a whole different audience of people that you can communicate with that you just probably like wouldn't have even really thought about before and also like a sort of negative comment that's often made about the London art scene and the London creative scene that it is just quite elitist because all of these events and stuff seem to happen in London and I think that is something which is like kind of long overdue to change. Totally. And it's really made me realise that, of course, it leaves people out. You know, I used to do loads of events in the Tottenham Court Road Waterstones thinking that was really normal just because I've lived Mm. in London for so long. And you suddenly think that is really crazy to think that these events are only happening in central London. And I completely understand why people would find that really weird and just quite rude, really. yeah definitely just like okay if you're interested in anything to do with literature or the arts you just have to come to London otherwise Mm. it's just not happening but your book has had huge success I mean I've I've seen it everywhere everyone's been reading it it just looks like it's been received really really well and also like a a huge fan of your book The Multi Hyphen Method and your podcast Control Alt Delete it speaks to me as a freelancer and really resonates with me as someone who also has four slashes to their job title but I'm, I'm sure that many people have found a similar comfort in your work at a time in the world where people are changing careers or working multiple jobs upskilling reskilling all the skilling and yeah I was just wondering like how has the pandemic affected your working lifestyle if at all and do you think this moment will have a long lasting shift in the way that we work yeah definitely it's been a weird one because the multi-hyphen method came out nearly three years ago now I think or at least I still stopped writing it three years ago so it feels you know like long in the making really and it's just strange for it to keep cropping back up because it feels more relevant now than it even did then Mm -hmm. and it's weird how quickly things move isn't it and how outdated things become so quickly because I remember even three years ago like going on a podcast and it was a BBC podcast I think and the interviewer just couldn't really wrap his head around why working from home should be allowed yeah (laughs) and now obviously fast forward to now and the conversations are everywhere and I'm just really happy that we are finally admitting that work is broken because I think it's been broken for a long long time I think that the way it's been designed is just ancient and this kind of presenteeism of just bums on seats sit at your desk for nine hours even if you don't need to be in the office I found that really problematic when I started working and I I think millennials get this real label of being entitled Mm -hmm. and they don't like following the rules but I think that's a good thing sometimes I think that's what makes people into activists not that I am one but 
yeah you know going into the office and getting completely eviled by everyone because you're two minutes late in the morning but then you stay for two hours in the evening working on a project working really hard it just didn't make sense to me I was like why are we why is it so archaic so I when I wrote the multi-hyphen method it had a bit of pushback because people don't like change and people don't like things being called out and a lot of companies just want to be in control of their employees whether or not it's the right thing to do so I mean this year has been really horrible and by no means is the multi-hyphen life a fix at all I don't think it's for everyone but I'm just really glad that the jig is up like no one can pretend anymore that work is working and I think that's ultimately a good thing yeah, definitely. I, mean, I think so many companies were just like really resistant to that whole working from home model. They just thought people wouldn't do it properly or they'd skive off because I think that kind of misconception has applied or like people have had it of freelancers for a really long time, like thinking that working from home isn't actually a real thing and you're just in bed or like lying around, like not really doing anything. <laughs> and I think people, because people have that kind of misconception about freelancers, that sort of translated into, oh, well, you know, we couldn't possibly let our employees work from home and it was only until they were actually kind of like forced to do it that people could actually envision a workforce at home in a positive way or in a way that was actually just functioning yeah and I'm definitely not someone who thinks working from home is amazing the whole time I just really believe that we should allow each other the respect of freedom Mm -hmm. in their lives like we're all adults and I just never really understood why people would hire someone and then treat them with such suspicion if they ever worked from home. It's like, do you really not trust people to that extent that you think they just like want to watch like homes under the hammer? Because we, Mm -hmm. you know, most people just want to do their job, get on with it, get paid and then like spend time with their family. So it always was really strange to me that it was really frowned upon. And I find just in general being self-employed personally a lot more empowering because you're not kind of micromanaged to that same level of people just constantly wanting to control you and for Mm. me I really wrote the book as not really like a feminist manifesto but definitely an empowerment thing of Mm -hmm. how do you invest in yourself how do you when a system is so broken and people are just so backwards how do you just make sure you're looking after yourself basically and um, put the power into your own hands again yeah and I think that's why I do like the conversation around having a side project because ultimately a side project is you kind of um, having a bit of a backup plan for yourself and I know it sounds really negative and depressing but in the multi-hyphen method I made sure there was a chapter on basically the lack of trust in society at the Mm. moment it's like at an all-time low we don't trust authority and we don't trust our bosses and we we don't really trust people in power. Mm. And so it was my little way of saying, maybe there's another way of us kind of getting a little bit of power back in our lives. Here's my bit kind of thing. And I, I completely resonate with that. Like I find being self-employed extremely empowering and lots of things in the pandemic have been an adjustment and lots of it has been very stressful but one of the things that was sort of least stressful for me was working from home all the time because I'm so used to it and I think a lot of freelancers have found the work-life balance of lockdown like a bit easier to adjust to maybe than other people Um, and I was just wondering what was your experience with this? Yeah definitely I think there is a maybe people assuming that if you work from home normally then this was like life as normal but I think working from home choosing to as part of your schedule is very different from working from home in a pandemic it's been completely different 
and I really found so much joy b- before all this happened with working from cafes and mm. I just joined a co-working space I joined um a few different like members club things mm-hmm. um I just made sure that actually my life was going to be outside of the home yeah and out and my work was going to be outside of the home and so yeah ironically it was like nope back into your flat you go <laughs> <laughs> um so that yeah that was a shame and I've realized that I'm definitely someone who needs outside stimulus for for my creativity and for my ideas yeah and I think a lot of writers can kind of stare at a blank wall and imagine a whole world but I'm definitely not that person I love just overhearing conversations and cafes and being on a bus and gazing out of the window so it's been really hard and I definitely think yeah people have assumed I've got it down but um Mm -hmm. yeah it's been really crap (laughs) yeah I mean fair enough to be honest I've been having a similar conversation with a few of my friends who are artists and who paint from home or paint from their studios and uh some of them have been getting loads of commissions recently some of them have been getting lots of demands for work and they've just been like well I can't I'm so uninspired like yes I'm sitting in my studio but like I'm locked in my house and I have no inspiration I don't want to paint about anything I feel sad like yeah. <laughs> there's a global pandemic going on at the moment and you know people want me to make work but like you know I'm staring at a blank canvas here like I don't want to do any painting and I think that you know can translate as well to just being self-employed and having that choice of staying at home being taken away from you you're now just like forced to stay at home that's not like a choice anymore you're just that's it lockdown at the laptop (laughs) yeah exactly and it is psychological because I think if you just the choice of doing something is so different from being made to do something and your whole you know thing can just flip in your head but I would say that you know we have been through such a traumatic time this year and I remember someone saying recently on another podcast a psychologist saying that we are actually dealing with trauma and it will take us a long time actually after this year is over to process our emotions because just the what you know that collective trauma will sort of come to a head at some point and we'll all have to work through it and so I think it's really important to be kind to yourself and I know a lot of people have said to me because I started a book club at the beginning of lockdown and they were like I can't read I can't concentrate <laughs> no I literally sit down with a book and stare at one sentence and then close it again and I think it's really important to just like acknowledge that this year has been really hard and if you're someone who normally works from home absolutely fine and it's completely changed this year then you know go easy on yourself yeah I've heard that as well actually I've been speaking to a few friends who I normally do you know not as sophisticated as a book club but sort of book swaps with and every time I sort of swap like ask to swap a book with them they're like I can't read I've got nothing to swap I haven't read anything I've just stopped reading completely I've got no desire in me whatsoever (laughs) and it's interesting because you think oh well if you've got so much more spare time you just think you'd be sitting around watching tv and reading all the time but it's funny what habits you pick up and what things you just stop completely yeah and I I know a lot of people have maybe made use of their free time really well this year but I saw David Nichols had written a piece for the Telegraph I think it was saying I haven't written one word during the pandemic Mm -hmm. and my shoulders just dropped because I thought Oh, if David Nichols, the, the, one of the most prolific writers, he's like constantly writing scripts and books and all the rest of it. If even he can't do anything at the moment, I don't know, it was just that sort of validation that I personally needed. And I'm definitely coming out of it now and I am writing again. But yeah, it was really, really tough. And um, 
think we just need to be honest about that I suppose yeah completely and I feel all the time I have this like constant freelancer guilt whereas if I'm not like constantly working on something or thinking about the next thing then I'm like well what am I doing you're not doing anything but then I haven't really thought that those feelings also are coexisting with the global pandemic and all of the changes that are happening with that and honestly I think like in five years time or however many years time I'll just look back on this and just be like god it was actually amazing you got anything done amazing that anything happened in this kind of chasm of everything I know and I wonder if it has you know and maybe this is a privileged thing to say of like oh you've just been able to sit around listening to audiobooks and reflecting on your life you know that is there's a definitely an element to to being lucky that you can do that and you're not completely swept off your feet but I have been reflecting a lot this year and I think our obsession with age and productivity and what have you done this year and how old are you and what are you achieving and what are your goals I think this year has just been such a reminder that you can have all of these plans and you can have these kind of yearly goals but ultimately we're just not in control and sometimes you just have to surrender to the fact that you can't always be doing the to-do list and for me as someone that used to be like pretty much a workaholic in my 20s and in your 20s I feel like you don't get as burnt out because I don't know I had more energy yeah I'm talking like I'm 80 but you know what I mean (laughs) (laughs) so I think it's been weirdly kind of quite humbling actually to realize that some stuff just is not going to get done this year totally and that is 100% completely fine and even so you've managed to do quite a lot of stuff I would say I know but it's so jarring when people are like oh my god you've got so much stuff out and I'm like yes I wrote that all like a year ago Um, (laughs) so you're kind of in this weird limbo where you look really productive because you're promoting all this work you did two years ago but you I haven't like produced anything for ages so there's sort of that gap um but I think that's fine and I know that Elizabeth Gilbert she says that she works in seasons so she's either in her promotional season where she's you know talking about her book or she's in her writing season which is basically hibernation so yeah I think it's just going to be a winter of trying to be creative again Interrupting this briefly to talk to you about something we should all talk more about, periods. I didn't get my first period until way after my friends did, so I literally always thought they were overreacting when they complained about cramps. I also didn't realise that you can get cramps anywhere, not just in your tummy. So when it finally happened to me, I literally had no idea what was going on because my whole body felt like I had just run an entire marathon the day before, and I quickly realised, wow, my friends weren't overreacting. Now, I'm not really a huge fan of taking painkillers unless I absolutely have to. So when I discovered Day's CBD infused tampons, I was super keen to try them out. And to my surprise, they actually work. They're also all of my favorite things, which are dye and pesticide free, organic, clinically validated, plastic free, and they come in the most gorgeous packaging, reusable pouches, and the cutest aluminium tin. To get five pounds off your first box, use my discount code CHEERUPLOVE at the checkout when you visit yourday.com. That's spelled D-A-Y-E. Thank you, Day. Yeah, I mean, I'm quite looking forward to a winter of hibernation, to be honest. Yeah, I just I, I want a break. I don't want to do anything. I'm just done. I'd like to go into January with a fresh start and a new vaccine and just also give myself a bit of a break, to be honest, because, it's, yeah, this year has been a bit much. But I want to talk to you about your new book, or one of your new books, which I just finished reading, Olive. And 
it was so refreshing, I thought, to read a book about a sort of unconventional storyline that doesn't often get much attention for the right reasons, I would say. And yeah, it was just it was just really, really, really enjoyable. What inspired you to write a piece of fiction and in particular one about the decision of a young woman not to have children of her own? Thank you. I am so happy that Olive exists just because I definitely thought there was a gap in on my bookshelf, to be honest, of just a story about a woman who didn't want children and making that definition and distinction between child free mm-hmm. and child less, because I do think they're different. And I think there's some beautiful books that exist out there and there should be many more on people who wanted children but it didn't work out for various reasons and them coming to terms with that grieving that and ultimately being happy at the end that you know their life has worked out in other ways but at the end of the day like not having a child when you want one is a huge topic but I wanted to do something different to that and talk about a woman who just from a very very early age knew she didn't want to have children and it wasn't really something that she was ever going to be sad about like it was something really unapologetic for her and something that she was proud of and yeah I don't know just wanted to talk to other women about and so yeah Olive is a strange character but (laughs) I love her dearly even though she is far from perfect but yeah she she's like working things out and I suppose every character in the book is could be called selfish. But I wanted to unpick what selfish means in terms of the life choices mm. that we go down. And it's it's a book full of nuance, I hope. It's not a book about us and them and women that don't have children versus women that do. It's really like this melting pot of friendship and how they've all taken different paths, but ultimately kind of need each other in different ways. Yeah. Definitely. And it's interesting you say that about all of the characters kind of having these plot lines, but also being selfish in a way. And I definitely found that because I could sort of resonate with each of the storylines and, you know, feel the pain and feel like the push and pull of the relationships. But I also felt sort of like I sort of totally understand how all of these people are feeling the things that they're feeling because they're all such like unique and personal journeys and they also sensitive and they really do conflict with each other because I think the issue of of motherhood it's still so taboo and there's still so much shame around it because it's just not a dialogue that you hear very often and the dialogue that you do hear is often if someone doesn't want to have a child is this whole idea of oh well you're you know you're, you're selfish or you're career driven and it can be like for no other reason so I thought it was really interesting that you explored that and you explored it from the perspective of someone who is unashamedly making that choice. I'm glad that people have ultimately received it in quite a non-judgment kind of judgment-free way because I was worried mm. that people would think God, this is such a sensitive topic and you've got so many kind of big opinions in the book under the guise of lots of other characters. Mm. And I just wanted to pack it all in there, really. And I kind of wanted to just write a book club book. So a book that, you know, four friends, five friends could sit around and read and all have different opinions on or maybe open up their own personal conversations, maybe get the awkwardness out of the way of a clash of choice in their life or I don't know I like the idea of a book being a conversation starter and that was one thing that came through in the reviews of it was actually this connected me with my friends again in a new way which is really nice yeah that's probably the 
best like one of the better outcomes you can hope to have and if anything just inspiring that conversation and inspiring that dialogue and I often yeah when I think about it in relation to my friendship groups and stuff I don't think anyone's really well I don't think even my friendship really has had such a frank conversation before about like you know, having a child or not having a child and it seems it to me to be a bit kind of like shrouded in a bit of mystery yeah no I know exactly what you mean and I think that and I don't know whether this is just for me but I feel like we're in a time where if we're not completely aligned with our lifestyle and beliefs and opinions then we can't be friends anymore like there's definitely that sort of mentality on Twitter like if you disagree on one tiny thing it's like oh, maybe I should unfollow you. Like, it's just, it has got to this insane point, I think. And that's where you get this um, stereotype of like the mum's net mum where they all gang up on each other because they disagree on things. And for me, I feel like Olive is a book where you've got four best friends who ultimately are, have become completely different. They might have been the same at school, they might have been the same at uni and they might have all fancied the same boy or whatever. And suddenly you've got these four women who are actually quite, strongly opinionated on different matters to do with motherhood Mm -hmm. and I think the clash of different paths but ultimately how much they love each other I hope is a bit more convincing of what friendship should be because Olive really is quite bold in her claims of like having children looks really crap yeah (laughs) like she's quite insensitive and I really wanted her to grow by the end of the novel and not be as insensitive about it because she's just looking at her friends going like why are you doing this you just (laughs) I think she thinks having it all is not having kids which is fine but then she's got one of her best friends who you know her whole life is about her kids and there is nothing wrong with that and so I wanted I don't know, these women to just make peace with each other. And I guess it sort of weirdly taps into this idea that like feminism kind of, there isn't one way to do feminism. And there's not one way to live a life is basically the moral of the story. Yeah, definitely. And I think you do see these points of view being polarized quite a lot at the moment on social media, on Twitter, on Instagram, you know, you have the whole perfect Instagram mum blogger vibe. But you don't necessarily have the opposite to that. Like you wouldn't have someone who was openly sort of describing themselves as like, well, maybe you would. I haven't actually found it. I haven't actually seen anyone openly declare themselves as like a child-free blogger. Um, There's a few. I mean, I did a lot of research. What was interesting though with the child-free by choice movement is there isn't a lot out there. I feel like I kind of read everything there is on it and and that was like maybe, well, under 50 blog posts. I mean, obviously, there's going to be a lot out there that I didn't find, but I do think it's a topic that still needs a bit of airtime. And you can tell when something isn't talked about enough when, like, I wrote an article for Elle and I really wanted to be honest about my own personal journey with this topic. I just felt like it was important for me not to just hide away and be like, it's fiction, stop asking me, because yeah. it did come from a seed of truth and, and reality. So I thought I'd be honest about that. And if it can help other women and and for them to feel less alone, I felt like I should do that. But I wrote an essay for Elle about being, you know, being child free by choice and how I think that is my path. And just the amount of emails, you just realize that people read something and they've they've never really considered that it's okay. And that makes me feel sad in a way that we're still kind of at the beginning of this conversation for people to feel like so alienated that they stumble across an essay and suddenly think oh thank god like I'm not completely weird 
Why do you think the discussion around motherhood and whether or not to have a baby is still so taboo and shrouded in so much shame? I don't know. And it's funny because when I was doing press for the book, I kept being asked by like older journalists. They were like, why do you think this is a taboo? It's not a taboo. It, it's child free women feeling insecure and they're not accepting themselves. And I was like, no, no, really. Like if you look at popular culture, how are we reflected ever apart from Samantha Jones and Sex and the City or maybe like a piece about Jennifer Aniston and how she has never had a child like it's it's so unrepresented this kind of positive depiction of a child-free woman I mean I suppose Elizabeth Gilbert is someone who really is that depiction for me of someone who's gone you know just ripped up the rule book and gone to Italy and she's like nah don't want kids I don't know I just feel like we should have a few more of the not role models but just a few more people yeah in the media in films and tv I don't think we're asking for much I just think it would be good for young women to look at the whole spectrum and then get to make up their own mind on what they want to do yeah totally I completely agree with that and I think there is this pressure that surrounds you in the media and with films and books and everything but there's also a social pressure without even realizing it's like an unconscious social pressure that you might have from a stranger on like stranger on the street or like a doctor or your parents or a family friend just saying something like the slip of the tongue and suddenly you're immediately thinking that you should be having children or that that is the normal thing to do because it just always sort of has been the normal thing to do and anything other than that is really radical and so I find it really interesting that journalists and media have kind of said to you oh you know this isn't taboo it's of course not taboo because there definitely still is this underlying feeling of this path that you're probably inevitably pressured to take yeah and I think someone's lived experience does mean something like I have felt that people act suspicious of me or they are really confused when I say I don't want children like I, I've given like real life examples and when people say something isn't a taboo when you kind of feel like you actually have concrete evidence that people treat you like you're taboo I feel like that's a little bit strange so I, I did feel like the conversation around it was quite not heated but there was just something in the air and I think women who don't want to do it the way it's always been done kind of get weirdly targeted as well yeah but yeah no it has been overall it has been really positive and I've really enjoyed connecting with loads of different women who like we've all united under this conversation um, no matter kind of what path we've gone down which has been really nice as also there's another part of your book which I guess you can put in direct contrast to that is the bit where Olive wears the baby on board badge going around in public transport and I suppose that's another sort of like unconscious way that people react to pregnant people or congratulate and celebrate motherhood in a way that celebrating the choice to not have a child doesn't really happen as much yeah and I do find that stuff some of it can be quite petty which I kind of wanted to you know the the book is hopefully quite funny in places I didn't want it to be too serious Mm. but there's definitely this strange sort of clash that happens sometimes with women where like I remember seeing something on Instagram where someone was like I have to go to your stupid hen do but like why are you not paying like 500 quid to come to my business launch (laughs) and I was like well they're not really I wouldn't say they're the same so like sometimes there's this really weird thing where 
people who don't want to get married feel like they owe their owed money <laughs> oh my God. Um, and things like that so I think some of it is a little bit ridiculous but yeah. I actually do understand the overall point that if you aren't interested in getting married or having children well yeah you should be seen as a whole human being who is living a life that is worth celebrating as well so yeah there's some there's something in that yeah definitely and yeah I I feel like I can see both sides to that argument as well but yeah it's just it's just a really interesting topic of conversation really because it's just not something that really gets enough airtime. and I just thought you did a really beautiful job of laying out all of these different paths and storylines and relationships between all of these women who have completely different choices in life but ultimately all of them being really relatable and also really under profiled I suppose in mainstream life and mainstream media thank you that that is really what I wanted to do and I am quite obsessed with this like having it all term you know what is having it all as a woman these days in 2020 and I think for me the book is saying there's lots of different ways to feel like you're having it all you get to decide ultimately and you don't have to spin a million different plates if you don't want to you know let's all just do it our own way basically yeah hundred percent. Okay, so now is the time in the show where we read out our submitted story of sexual harassment sent in from a member of the Cheer Up Love community to discuss and myth bust. And this story was sent in by Tree. I was on an overnight train in a cabin filled with men. Every hour or so, I was awoken by a man rubbing up against me, insisting that I smile. It's always a precarious balancing act, being a female solo traveller, because without familiar refuge, you have to constantly temper your outrage and fear mm. while appeasing men to protect yourself. I relate to this so much. Honestly, can't tell you how many times I've had to sort of do the whole polite dance with a harasser or someone making me feel uncomfortable or someone basically saying something to me. And I'm like, oh, I'm really not enjoying this, but I'm going to just smile through it because, you know, it could escalate into something worse. Yeah, me too. And I've actually written about this before where I find it so annoying that ultimately the advice is to smile and be nice and make sure that you shrug it off as much as you can until you can make a dash and get out of the situation or move tube carriages or pretend to phone someone. It's always like the woman who has to perform in some way to get herself out of the issue. And it just really, really bothers me. It just bothers me so much that this is probably not, it's not any advice because I'm definitely not qualified to give advice to anyone, but I just find that dichotomy really stressful that my inner feeling is I want to be rude I want to shout I want to be aggressive (laughs) I want to basically go kind of crazy but then my inner monologue is saying you actually are biologically completely different in size weight force this won't end well like you won't come out of this probably on top so just quieten yourself and get out and be safe Mm. and I find those two things they really confuse me and I, I don't know what the answer is. No, me too. I mean, they make me feel like a sort of awful, terrible feminist. And they make me feel all of these emotions that I really shouldn't be feeling like guilty and sort of weak and not the kind of strong, outspoken person that I sort of feel like I am. Because in those moments, all of that is taken away from you. You're just vulnerable in the way that you never really have to think about in your day-to-day life and as soon as you have all of those things stripped away from you you, the only thing you can really think about is don't want this to get any worse you know don't want like I want to get out of the situation as soon as possible like I don't want to be here and 
doing what I feel like I would love to do in my heart's heart is like shout at them or tell them to piss off or just make a scene or all of these things. Somehow in that moment, it just doesn't feel like I have the capability to do any of those things except be smiling and polite and not making eye contact and just trying to like basically make yourself as small as possible so that the situation will go away. And I know so many other women that have had similar experience to this where they've wanted to shouted the house down but have just felt like it was not a safe not a safe thing to do in that moment and so were polite or apologetic even or all of these things that we we do in the moment when we're feeling vulnerable and scared and then afterwards have sort of berated themselves for being you know not strong enough or weak or not a feminist in that moment yeah it's it's so true and I often think to myself what would I do if I saw another woman being you know this happening to them and I don't know if my answer would change though because I think in the past I've been quite subtle with my like looking at someone making like a small gesture that I know what's going on and then like subtly getting her out of the situation without making a massive fuss Mm -hmm. I like I like to think that I would like scream and shout but I don't I've I don't know if that's the answer sometimes either. It can be, definitely, but it depends what the surrounding situation is. And I've found that sometimes it's been the case of like getting someone out of a situation in a quiet in a quiet way. And that's been and that's been quite successful. So I I don't know if you, I wouldn't ever want to make it worse for anyone either or make it, you know, make it worse for myself or someone else. No, I mean, that's like the difficulty of the situation is whenever you hear these stories or whenever you experience the situation yourself, you'll always, well, maybe you won't feel the same way about it all the time, but you'll have those feelings of, oh God, like I, I wish I'd done this or I wish I'd said that or in re- replaying the situation over and over again in your head. But like at the end of the day, there's a reason why you did the things that you did and until you feel like society or bystander intervention or all of these things have progressed to a place where you actually could do the things that you maybe were thinking about wanting to do like I don't think that's really going to change until society starts to change because ultimately we're still not really in a place where you can feel totally safe just speaking back to somebody or stranger who's demanded something of you or has harassed you or has come into your personal space and made you feel vulnerable you know until we're at a place where you can feel confident that someone would like step in and help you I don't know it's it's a very reasonable reaction I think and as a very is a very yeah it's a completely understandable reaction I think sort of trying to not escalate the situation any further because ultimately I still don't think we're really at a place where you feel like you could be totally protected in that kind of situation yeah I guess it comes down to the fight or flight thing where you're either ready to take action and I really wish I was trained in martial arts or something because that would be amazing like imagine if you knew that you could actually like properly kind of beat someone up <laughs> like it would be so much fun to be like come on then I'm I'm trained and I have a black belt yeah. but then a part of me thinks the flight bit of me I think comes into action more and I know that when I've been followed home before on some really scary evenings that I think back about and I'm like god that was actually really really hairy I remember knocking on a door and like basically someone answering the door and me just like pretending for a moment that I lived there and basically just saying to someone do you mind just talking to me for a sec because there's someone that's like been following me but what is so annoying about that is the woman is the one that has to do all the like mental arithmetics of how to get herself out of it and it's quite a lot of like emotional energy for you to come up with some sort of plan when yeah what's the alternative 
to be honest. I know. I mean, that's always the most unfortunate thing about it is that it's pretty much always on the victim to sort out the situation or deal with it in some way or another. Whether that's getting yourself out of the situation, reporting it, dealing with the trauma of it, dealing with the repercussions and the after effects of it. It's pretty much always down to the victim in the situation to deal with that. And going back to what you said about self-defense, I've actually after doing lots of talks and things people have said like some of the questions have been like oh you know like what advice do you give to people walking on the street alone you know what advice would you give would you would you tell people to learn self-defense and I'm always like okay wouldn't do any harm but I'm not going to go around telling women in marginalized genders that they then have to learn martial arts or they have to protect themselves against oncoming assault because ultimately you know it's so exhausting that it always falls onto the victim to do the work mm. no matter what that is we shouldn't maybe have we shouldn't be the ones who are having to do the work to protect ourselves from the oncoming assault it should be yeah. the other way around oh my god a hundred percent i always think about how that statistic around women in a who just want to read their book in a pub on their own mm-hmm. and how they did this study where i think it was like one out of like a hundred women didn't get chatted up or accosted or even abused like verbally and it's like oh great so if I want to go and read my book in a in like a pub or a restaurant or something I have to pack a pepper spray or like I just want to go and read my book and it reminds me of that twitter thread where someone had said what would you do after 9 p.m if there were no men oh my god (laughs) and doesn't it just make you think I would like literally go walking in a bikini on Hampstead (laughs) Heath in the dark it would be so much fun and go swimming i know but god that twitter thread is so depressing like i was reading through it and i was just like yeah 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 i can relate i can relate and then you know after the fourth or fifth thing when it just kept on going and the list just kept on growing i was like oh my god this is really sad and it's really sad i suppose like how many people were just retweeting it and saying <laughs> yeah, yeah oh yeah completely relate yeah okay and this this question mentions being a female solo traveler doesn't it and that makes me i've been really reflecting a lot on travel like the plans that hopefully in the future I can I can make with travel. Um, I've got so many bucket list ideas of wanting to go and be on my own somewhere. And um, I was talking to my boyfriend the other day actually because he travelled for six months on his own, and and I was just asking him like some of the places he stayed and what he did, and even just hearing about staying in yeah. these hostels where you're just in a room with like six other people in a bunk bed or whatever he doesn't think anything of that obviously but my brain just immediately thought of all of the Mm -hmm. things like all of the problems how that could go wrong for a female traveler and yeah it's just all that stuff isn't it yeah totally it's a lot of things it's it's basically just like a whole load of things that you have to think about and I mean this applies to so many other things like I've spoken to a few of my friends who are like well you know I have to look up a country to see how racist a country is before traveling there yes yeah and that's a privilege but a lot of white people just like have never really had to think yeah about. absolutely absolutely it's really really important to um remember that isn't it and I've heard so much recently from women of color talking about airbnb and how weirdly racist a lot of airbnb Mm. owners are and just having to live with that fact that you pick somewhere you want to stay and you don't immediately get accepted to stay there and that is just like a horrible thing to have to deal with when you're just trying to plan your trip all of the things yeah well thank you tree so much for sending in that story and if anyone's listening now who wants to send in their story to be read out and discussed on the podcast, then please do submit by the website or DM us. Emma, thank you so much for speaking to me today. I've 
appreciated it so 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 much and yeah i just want to know what are you working on at the moment and what are you looking forward to next thank you for having me i am working on a new book at the moment which is really exciting because as I've whinged about on this episode, I um, have really struggled to get my kind of creativity flowing again. And um, Mm. you kind of worry, I think, every time you try and write something new that all of your energy, creative energy is gone forever, which it clearly hasn't. So yeah, I'm getting stuck into a new book now, which is great. And then, um, yeah, just continuing really to talk about my other book that came out this year called sabotage which is all around how we can deal with those kind of inner critic moments of getting in our own way around things we want to be doing so i've enjoyed talking about that topic a lot this year so i can hopefully i'll continue to do that and yeah just hopefully 2021 has some treats in store because we need it I hope so. <laughs> so yeah, lastly, where can people find you and support you online? Best place to find me at the moment is probably just on my website, which is emmagannon.co.uk. And I have a weekly newsletter that I write um, because I've, I'm kind of stepping away from social media a little bit. So yeah, I write a newsletter and my website is the best place to catch up with what I'm up to. Amazing. Well, I'll pop both of those in the show notes. But thank you so much again and enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Cheer Up Love podcast and a special thanks to my guests for coming on and to the members of the Cheer Up Love community for sending in your stories. If you would like to submit your story to the podcast then just DM us on Instagram or submit via our website. If you like what you've been listening to please subscribe and leave a review it would mean a lot. And also lastly an extra special thank you to Alex Grews who composed the wonderful music that you've been listening to.